Hi, and welcome back to the Leading Language and Literature podcast with me, Chris Jordan. In this episode, I'm talking with Sarah Davies. Sarah is, amongst other things, an assistant head teacher, early career teacher mentor, and author of Talking About Oracy. After a conversation I had with Donald Hale a few months ago, I began searching for resources or guidance on how best to implement Oracy in my own practice. Sarah's was the first and best book I came across in a field that seems shockingly underconsidered. We discuss what secondary teachers need to know about the transition between primary and year seven in terms of students' oracy, how teachers can embed oracy instruction on a daily or weekly basis, what the most important types of talk we need to foster in secondary schools are, strategies we can use for particularly reluctant speakers in class, whether we need to consider preparation for how students use apps or meeting software as opposed to purely presenting in person, and finally, the best resources for teachers keen to instruct oracy techniques and non-verbal communication techniques such as body language. Thanks very much to Sarah for giving up her time for a chat as well as continuing to be a vocal presence on Twitter and beyond when it comes to English and oracy matters respectively. If you want to be kept up to date on when educational chat like this happens, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast and or follow me on Twitter at ChrisJordanHK. Um, okay, Sarah, so um, I, think I, I watched like a um, Teach Meets English Icons video, um, sort of professional development thing a few a few weeks ago. And I saw Lindsay Skinner talking about the fact that secondary English teachers need to know a lot more about what primary teachers do when they're teaching English in terms of writing and reading and stuff like that. But from your perspective, what do you think secondary teachers need to know about oracy when it comes to the transition between primary and and year seven? What are secondary teachers sort of unaware of that they probably should know about how it's done in the primary level? I think there's a lot to be said about making sure that the transition between year six and year seven and key stage two and key stage three is done properly on all areas. I know that we have a big push. It's like you said, we have a big push making sure that the literacy, because more often than not, what we find is that if if not handled correctly like correctly in the the curriculum we actually see a dip in year seven where it's almost like these expectations haven't been maintained all the way through and actually Oris is the exact same we have to be aware of just how much is done in primary school in regards to them being able to explicitly discuss uh, you know there is more of an academic vocabulary level in primary school than what we ever give credit for Um, and it's not just that I think it's from the academia side we do have to be careful that we are setting that bar high and we're setting that expectations high but when it comes to oracy we also have to have an awareness of the actual mental health and the well-being of the the individual child and the individual student because what I don't think we take into account as much is particularly when you 
coming from an environment where, you know, these students have been working with the same 30 or so people for the past five, six years. That means that even though they are what we might class as capable of speaking in a group situation and capable of having that collaborative exercise um, and doing so in a seemingly comfortable manner, they're doing so with in, in essence, what is what can only be described as a dysfunctional extended family, isn't it? It's it's people that they are comfortable with, that they've they've really developed their own skills and capabilities with. So we have to to have that awareness of, despite this understanding. Oh well, yeah, no, they they do. Uh, you know, a lot of circle time or a lot of Socratic questioning or you know, um, a lot of real development on on the student led side of collaborative learning in primary school when they get to secondary school they're going to be in more uncomfortable situations and more of the unknown situations for them as well so you know one of the things that I look at quite closely in the book is um the proximal zones of development um by by handle and it's it's basically it's it's this idea of those moments that that make you know that make us all anxious and and how there's a certain radius around us that that exhibits different kind of emotional responses to this so they're already you know it's it's already going to be a heightened response because of the fact that they're in an unknown situation on top of that you know you've got the the seatings and they're going to be sat next to someone that they don't know that well and that's already putting them in that that high intensity zone of of you know almost like the red zone so to speak that's 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 way outside their own comfort and then on top of that asking them to speak as well so I think it's setting that challenge in regards to the academic vocabulary but also having an awareness of the emotional stresses attached to explicitly including oracy in into the classroom that yeah I never thought about it like that before I suppose like the school that I'm working at at the moment there's only three or four feeder schools, but I've never really thought about the fact that, yeah, like in a given class in a primary school, I suppose you all get to know each other in terms of that dysfunctional family kind of analogy in terms of, you know, he's the loud one. He's the one you need to be careful of in terms of getting upset too easily. She's the one who likes to kind of help other people. She's the blah, blah, blah. And yeah, that's, I think once you lose all that, um, as a student coming into year seven and being asked to speak to this person from a completely different school, um, completely different culture, maybe, and um, that you've never kind of met before. Yeah. That's, it's quite a big ask. I think even for adults, that would be a big ask. Um, as yeah, let alone kind of young, young learners, young people. Um, when, when it comes to, um, secondary teachers kind of planning, whether it's year seven, year eight, year nine, whatever, what do you think, what kind of, like, how can teachers embed or see instruction on like a daily or weekly basis? Do you think it starts with when they're mapping out the curriculum? Is it more to do with like um, habits of teaching kind of more broadly when you're in the classroom? Or is it like a combination of the two? What should they, what should secondary teachers, in your opinion, be doing to kind of embed that instruction? I do think that one of the biggest problems that we've got when we look at incorporating more oracy skills into the curriculum is 
it's almost this idea of, of, of perceiving it as an add-on or seeing it as, as something additional, an additional workload that teachers have to do, an additional aspect that we have to consider. And actually, it's not. And I think the first thing that any leadership team, when when asking their staff and, and their colleagues to incorporate oracy, really needs to do is is actually address what is being done already so what are you doing in your classroom that incorporates and supports those oracy skills and actually allowing us to because what we want to do as well is we want to shift it to the explicit and we want to just make everybody aware of actually by talking to this person by having this conversation in this way by working with this group of people what you're doing there is you're building on these skills. You're building on on showing an awareness of your, you know, your social, your your cognitive skills, your, you know, your body language and the way that you perceive perceived by everyone, and you, you're building on those skills. So it's very much a case of the first thing to do is to sit down and go right. What do I do already? Because actually. It's oracy skills don't necessarily need to be something that's embedded into the curriculum, but more into the toolkit in which we deliver the curriculum. And it goes back to this idea of and we have a lot of discussions about what's in the books. So when you, when, you know, what what is what what do we see when we go into a classroom? If anyone was to walk into a classroom, what are we likely to see? But at the same time, there's a reason why there are two places that you look, you know, and it's never at the teacher. It's. What are you likely to see in the books? And also, what are the students likely to say? Because those are the two places where you're going to get the key indicators as to what is actually being taught, what, what is going on in the classroom. How are they learning? How are they able to ex, you know, explicitly express what is being taught to them, what they're understanding about it? And it's not necessarily always a case of that just what's written down. It's what you know how are they able to to recognize or summarize what what they're being taught in that lesson and, and how have they taken that away so it could be as simple as you know looking at uh if you're looking at things like an accelerated learning cycle or if any uh you know school or establishment has a specific structure to, to how lessons start or end it could be as simple as just having a moment or setting aside that moment to just be able to talk to the person next to them and just say like, well, all right, let's, I just want you to talk to the person next to you and just, just summarize what you've learned in today's lesson or summarize what you found difficult, what you found easiest and just allowing that process to take place in a way that isn't written, isn't formally recognized as as an understanding because that's that's another thing that we need to go out of it and and this is this is one of the biggest things that we say about when you're completing more of an extended writing task obviously you're not going to be able to do it in an exam but it actually helps prior to doing any kind of extended writing task to be able to have that time to verbalize it first to be able to to provide that reasoning but in a way that you're not being held accountable for it so in a way that you're not saying you know because whether you're a teenager whether you're an adult you know whether you're a, a smaller child everything that you write down is almost like it's gold dust then isn't it I mean gone are the days where we used to like you know where we, we used to have tipex and it just completely disappeared 
you know, all of a sudden we've got those people that are a lot more anal now about what what is written down and and this idea of of, of perceived perfectionist, like you know, of what what needs to be said, and just being able to be given that time to rationalize and, and to just be able to discuss what they're going to write down before they do so actually building the confidence of it as well so it's it's looking at those moments in lessons and in the curriculum where actually you could embed those oracy skills or perhaps you do so already so things like the think pair share um you know, how many times do we do that before we ask those questionings? If you want to go into deeper questioning and, you know, we talk a lot about things like Socratic questioning and really developing that knowledge and and, and broadening that knowledge through the, the reasoning behind it. But it's almost like, especially when it's teacher led, it, it's, there's, a, there's a spotlight that goes on. So it's almost like before that spotlight, raise the curtains, allow them to, you know, to, to reason with the people around them, to, to discuss it with their audience uh, so that they can formulate the best response possible. Um, so that's, that's definitely what I'd say would be the takeaway so far. Look at what you're doing already. Look at the, the toolkit that you've already got and work as a collaborative, you know, group of professionals as to what approaches to oracy are already being used and how they're being used and then look at the little you know the the little golden moments where you could incorporate more of it in there so that it's not saying oh well this has to be written down well actually no this is going to be a lot more valuable if they're able to discuss it if they're able to talk about it first off yeah that i I definitely think I can't remember where I was thinking about this recently, just from my own perspective. I think um, like I uh, was, I've been doing a master's for the last kind of year or two. And I was saying to my partner, how I read all this stuff sometimes and I'm kind of like, yeah, I understand this and it's fine, whatever, whatever. But sometimes she'll ask me about it and I'll, I find it impossible to verbalize what I've learned. I just, I don't, I can't kind of, I kind of understand it, but I guess it, it, by 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 kind of in evidence like taking that as evidence obviously I don't understand it as fully as I obviously need to if I can't kind of explain it out loud and I think that's a crime that I'm definitely guilty of sometimes with the students where you give them all these notes to take you give them examples worked examples you might ask for uh, student ideas you know you might cold call people and stuff like that and then move on to an activity but I think that's such a good idea to kind of maybe take a a pause in your kind of like the habits of your classroom practice and allow them to talk for like 30 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever, and just say, explain to each other what you've just learned. Because yeah, maybe un until they do that, unless they do that, they, they might be kind of overly confident in that way that students often are where they're like, yeah, I've got this. I understand this. But if they're not able to kind of, um, I don't know, clarify it with the person next to them or articulate it, then maybe it might spur them to listen a little bit more carefully or review their notes a little bit more carefully. Um, I've heard you speak uh, in, in another podcast or another kind of like roundtable chat about um, like types of talk um, in secondary schools or the types of kind of um, oracy that we're expecting from students. Like in your in your opinion, what are because we obviously only have a finite amount of time in 
school and um, to be able to kind of introduce them to to how they should talk and when and um, the ways in which they can talk what kinds like what's the most important types of talk that we need to foster as secondary school um educators would you say it's such i think it's such a difficult one to look at the most important especially when you look at what each of them bring to the table and what you know why it's so important to do so because obviously we want students to be able to talk with this you know academic rigor and with yeah from a from a school or an educational perspective you know you'd automatically assume that the, the top of the list is going to be the academic talk it's going to be the ability to to articulate um in a very you know, high competency kind of way but actually it's not because what you know the biggest thing that we have to understand is what skills and strategies are we providing to our, our young people so that they can actually go on to lead a successful life and to lead a successful career and this is why oracy is so important from the, the get-go because actually when you look at it I mean think about how many times a student would turn around and go well when am I going to need to do this or when am I going to need to have this oracy flat out at all of the different areas all of the different types of talk are going to be needed throughout their lives and sometimes it's a case of actually explicitly saying all right yeah you're going to articulate this one now because in certain circumstances you need to and we talk a lot about things like the Aristotelian triad for example and you know we talk about things like your ethos side of it you have to be the professional you have to sound professional and how you do that is is through the language that you're using and and you know choosing the correct language the correct articulation for that time but then if we go to a route it's it go it all boils down to this social emotional side of it it goes it boils down to in essence, what we pick up from the very, very young ages. So we talk a lot about um, toddler tantrums and I'm dealing with those at the moment with a three-year-old, but I can still see myself dealing with them with the 11-year-old as well. And it's this art, you know, it's, it's where those breakdowns in communication happen. For me, that's the most important type of talk that we can really understand and help our young people to understand as well so it's like why do people become frustrated well more often than not it's because of the fact that they're not able to articulate what emotion that they're feeling at that time and why aren't they able to to articulate that emotion and it's about being able to to recognize what emotions are being felt but also being able to read other people as well because more often than not you know, it could very well be a case of that that something has happened or, or the, there's a reaction from someone because it's been misread, whether that be the body language, whether that be the tone, but actually something's become lost in translation along the way. And I think really teaching that, and it's, it is difficult to, well, it's not necessarily difficult to do because at the end of the day, we as professionals should be modeling it all the time anyway. But it's, it's like I said earlier, it's about bringing it into the explicit, it's about bringing it to the surface and, you know, talking about these ideas, talking about how tone or how body language or, you know, how the way that something might be worded not only would impact in your subject, but also 
in day-to-day life as well post academia so post any kind of wherever you stop in education whether it be 16 18 21 or so on and so forth actually these are the skills that you're going to need so how can you do it in a way that's going to prevent those breakdowns in communication yeah coming back to that kind of uh, aristotelian rhetoric thing um I have found before, like it, it's so intimidating sometimes, you know, when you share the, the ter- you know, I suppose you don't have to share the terminology with them, but it can be quite intimidating. But then it's so the, 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 the kind of the speed with which they understand what you're talking about when you give them examples from their day to day life in terms of like, have you, um, do you ever remember a time when you convinced your parents to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it depends if you're talking about, as you said, like ethos or pathos or, or logos or whatever, but they, they catch on so, so quickly and they can give you endless examples of like times they've convinced the parents or the teachers or the, the mates or something like that. Um, but, and I, I can understand what you, where you're coming from there as well, because, even if it was like an academic, so as an English teacher, even if it was an academic text, there's still a lot to be said for like, uh, um, um, if you think about like logos or something like that, like deductive reasoning, that's not a far cry away from like literary analysis really, is it? It's like a number of claims in which you're forming a conclusion based on the evidence in front of you. So um, it was, a, yeah, I had a conversation with another English teacher a few weeks ago, months ago, uh, Donald Hale, uh, when you were talking about the importance of rhetoric and that's another thing that I've been thinking about a lot so it's interesting to hear yeah you kind of you, you bring that up in terms of it being like a a central sort of um um an important aspect to bring out through um or see with with the students so that's really kind of um that's that's quite encouraging I suppose um if we are doing these things, if we do implement these strategies in like on a day-to-day basis and they become habits of, um, you know, our teaching or our approach and, and there are moments in the curriculum or there are moments in the, the mark schemes that we use or whatever kind of um, uh, considerations that particular teachers have uh, within their um, day-to-day kind of jobs there's always those who um, are reluctant speakers or particularly shy or um, for whatever reason, like introverted or whatever. Um, what kind of strategies have you, have you discussed? Have you come across or have you developed for, for those, for those students who um, are more reluctant to talk than others? I think it's, it all boils down to what, you actually want at the end of it you know what is the outcome that we want to get from RSE and at the end of the day we're you know as much as we'd like to say that we're creating a class of politicians that like you said are able to you know always adopt you know the rhetoric and always be able to to articulate themselves reasonably what we want to do is we want confident students that are are, are really able to express themselves in the way that is most suited towards them and it's this it goes back to this idea of you're always going to be teaching you are going to be teaching a class of individuals you're never teaching a class because that would imply that everyone is the exact same you are teaching a class of individuals so everyone's going to have their own 
almost like their own gauges and their own reads of where they're up to and when we talk about primary school by the time that they get to year six they and you know a lot of the teachers will already know where those reads are so to speak and when you're working in a secondary school environment a lot more of it almost has to be not necessarily ad hoc because you do you know you bear that responsibility to know your students and to know the needs that they've got but it's not all about knowing those needs that might have a, an academic purpose behind it or might you know be something that that deters them from accessing the curriculum in a normal way actually it could be as simple as that such and such a person doesn't like to be asked questions you know in front of everyone and it's it's you know so there's little strategies that go a long way so it's things like whilst they're having those discussions what do those discussions look like and it's it's building confidence almost in a way where you become that that buffer you become that support mechanism so it's things like how you approach questioning and it's really reflecting on how you as a practitioner do it as well. Like, how do you approach the questioning in your classroom so that students don't feel put necessarily put on the spotlight, but not in an uncomfortable way? How are you able to do it in a way that allows them to shine, not allows them to sink? And it's, you know, so little techniques like if you've got some students that you really want to, to push for the, the more vocal point of it you know addressing them first and you know that you're always going to get people that are going to say 400 different ways of doing it so you know in my own opinion I found that the saying their name first especially if I know that they lack confidence almost gives them that run-up to it it allows them to get started going all right okay I'm gonna have to answer this question now then you'd have people that would argue that actually that would mean that everyone else can switch off but I feel if you build the right climate and culture of a classroom and you do it in a way where everyone's participating in that way, then, you, you know, you're less to fall foul of those those kind of errors or those mistakes from it. It might, you know, so it might be little strategies like that, just saying the name first to give them that time and that confidence on it. Yeah, another one that we've tried um, – and I've, I've you know, been able to see quite successfully a few times is having that one-to-one -one discussion with them and almost getting them to repeat what they've already said but to you you know so they've already said it to you they know the answer all right do you remember what we were just talking about then do you think you could just explain that again and that's allowing that confidence to build but not in a way where they're having to to really really be put under the spot with it and sometimes it might just be a case of that whilst everyone is working that you are asking you know you circulate in the room all right can you just why, why did you just write that one there what what's what, what can you tell me about that can you tell me anything else about that and and sometimes you know it's oracy's not showboat it's not a singing and dancing kind of everyone's going to have the same mark scheme approach if we approach it right because you know some of the people that are saving lives on a day-to-day -day basis might only say one or two words to anyone outside of you know it's, if we approach it right really really will support the individual with being able to progress further in everything that they want to do and and I think that's that that is a massive one really for me yeah I think the the, the culture the culture thing that you brought up like at the beginning was is is yeah 
that kind of really re- uh, resonates with me in terms of because I think I think a student can be relatively quiet in every single class, but come to your class or one particular class and know that oh, this is that class where the expectations are slightly different, and I do actually have to talk. So I'm gonna you know I'm gonna up it a little bit, but you only get there kind of day by day, kind of class by class and building up, as you said, those kind of, um, those not necessarily expectations, but that kind of like feeling that it's okay to talk in here and I'm a supportive teacher and I'm not going to catch you unawares. I am going to kind of, I am here to support you and to make your voice heard and stuff, but they're two really nice, really lovely, um, practical ideas, I have to say. Um, this is something I've been thinking about recently. So obviously with the whole COVID situation, which is um, sadly like unavoidable in terms of having these educational chats of late, I've thought about the fact that um, a lot of like interviews and stuff like that um, for universities or or for jobs and things are are going online and you've got like um, these remote Uh, interviews where uh, it's just you're being recorded by the laptop and then it's being sent over to someone who's watching them all on one go um, in 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 like another location have you given any thought to um, like do we need to consider preparing how students use apps or meeting software as opposed to like purely presenting or discussing stuff in person or do you think it's more or less the same skill set when like all said and done oh definitely I mean I think it is the same skill set when you think about the the linguistic and the cognitive skills that are incorporated into oracy it's you know it is it is the same skill set in that way um but I think one of the things that I realized when I was writing the book was um, I, I was so fortunate to be able to to talk to a lot of professionals that worked at different stages and different key stages. And one of the best discussions that I had um, was with a close friend of mine and he works in a college and he was saying that it, he was finding it ridiculously frustrating. He'd have students that would achieve 100% like, you know, every single time, every single test that they do, they get the full marks, they they nail it. And if they didn't get full marks, they got close to full marks. And then they go to these university interviews and they wouldn't get a place because they wouldn't be able to sell themselves, not necessarily to do it in that way, but they wouldn't be able to, to discuss with other people, to talk to other people. And, you know, you find it when you work in a secondary setting as well, like, you know, just, just having those discussions about a personal statement. It's the hardest part of having a discussion about a personal statement is discussing with them about their own best qualities. Like I've done that for about six years now. And that part is like pulling teeth. It is, you feel like you've got to go around to every single one of them and explain, look, this is your best quality. You know, these are your personal qualities. And, And that that's really frustrating about it. It's really bad that we're actually having to have those discussions, especially so late on as well, that they don't have the confidence to be able to to have those, you know, to have that that ability to to really sell themselves, to really put themselves forward. And when we look at 
where we could support that in the curriculum or where could we go forward with it you know it's it's little things that we could do that would have a major impact I mean one of the the reasons behind me getting involved in this is well there's two reasons why I started writing and doing a lot of investigation around oracy um the first one was when I returned off maternity leave and I was talking to the year 11s and um they had not really looked much at interviews they hadn't done much interview practice and I came from so previously I came from a recruitment consultant background so you know everything well yeah so in you know I'd be hard pressed to find a job that you wouldn't have any kind of interview for and as a result of that it really, you know, it got me thinking, well, hold on a minute, we should be doing a lot more of this from from earlier on to help it. And then the other reason was because of the fact that obviously because of COVID, there was a lot that was done in regards to how we're going to support students with the assessments. And one of the things for GCSE English language was they turned around and went, right, well, we're not going to record the spoken language part of it. And I just, I mean, I must admit, even I felt that, that wave of relief. And I thought, hold on a minute, why am I feeling such a relief from this? I was like, this is, in essence, this is, this should be nothing. This should be something that's just a natural part of it. But actually, to many schools, to many establishments, this was almost like that, that final hurdle before the GCSE exams that you had to get these recorded, that we had to get them onto the system, so to speak. And it lost all of the traction as to what spoken language exactly had to be. You know, it was losing its its validity. It was losing the reasoning behind it. Instead, it was turning into a, we've got to get them saying something on camera. And it lost a lot of what, you know, the reason that we do it. And and that for me meant that we had to, you know, we had to look at it different. We had to readdress it in that way. Um, so when we look at the reasoning behind the spoken language, actually, we do need to be doing a lot more of it. It's it's a case of when we're teaching speeches. So when we're teaching students to write speeches or to to incorporate rhetoric into their work, or you know, when we're looking at the Aristotelian triad, we could be using a lot of those skills that they are going to have to use so can they create a podcast can they you know do all of the things that actually when we when we look at it we're in the 21st century now we've got this you know the the vlogging and the blogging and and the podcasts and we need to be able to be supporting them with with writing all of those I mean it's it's very rare that we're going to have, I mean, look at it. I mean, we're still writing articles. I mean, yes, we're incorporating articles into our work, but actually we should be incorporating more vlogs, more blogs, more podcasts into there as well. When we look at how our society is changing, we almost do a disservice if we don't change with it, if we don't, not necessarily completely overhaul, but if we don't adapt to suit the needs of, of, of where we're going up, how we're evolving as, as people. Yeah, I, I spoke to um, a journalist maybe this time last year, um, just, just to kind of get her perception on how the media's changed. And she said, you know, when I started, it was a case of you had to work hard, you had to work long hours, you had to, you know, write good copy, 
blah, blah, blah. Now she said, you need to be relatively decent at editing videos. You need to be relatively decent at, as you say, kind of planning um, like um, audio kind of content, audio visual content and and that kind of thing. So just just a journalist. And, and she's not necessarily someone who appears on camera all that much or, or anything like that. I think she's like editor of content at the Liverpool Echo. But um, I think, yeah, I, I, I agree with you in terms of the fact that a lot of the jobs that we're doing now or that we're supposedly preparing students for now, there's definitely going to be like this, um, these added um, elements to it that, that incorporate, if anything, like no one, it, it seems a bit of a cliche to say, it, but it seems like no one's got time to sit down and read long form journalism or long form kind of um text anymore everyone wants to be listening to podcasts or watching stuff on youtube or you know adverts have gone from being like 90 seconds long two minutes long when i was watching itv as a kid to like five seconds long on on youtube and i feel like I, i completely agree with you that we're doing them a bit of a disservice to be teaching them things which are important in terms of print but maybe not pairing it with the appropriate kind of uh audio or audio visual um equivalent um alongside it but i suppose they're never going to be examined on that they're never going to be asked to do that on a gcse exam so i can also understand why teachers aren't also kind of um you know uh, uh, rushing ahead of themselves to incorporate it in the in the curriculum but maybe that's something that'll come um further down the line um just as as a final question then um sarah like um with with the exception of your um obviously brilliant book what what are the best resources for teachers who are keen to instruct um oracy techniques um whether it's you know habits of discussion or just you know how to speak effectively or maybe as you mentioned before like the non-verbal communication techniques like body language and, and stuff like that what kind of resources have you recommended in the past or learned from in the past i think that voice 21 do a lot um in regards to their work around oracy and obviously oracy cambridge um do a lot of of understanding the key skills behind it and they bring a lot to the table i think there's a lot of you know the support out there for those people that really want to start driving oracy forward um in regards to where they can get you know the help from i think when we look at you know and it's it's things like when you look at the whole body language side of it you know a lot of that is more of the research into the the mental health and the well-being side and and the, the social emotional side so i think it's it's all out there it's just it's it's like we said earlier, there, there's a lot less in regards to how much is actually being done to support or to drive oracy forward than perhaps there should be um, when you think about, obviously, it as a wider skill. And but those, you know, the, the Voice 21 just did the... Um, they looked at the October side of it. They do quite monthly events. They do supporting in that way. And obviously, um, Oracy Cambridge do a lot of work uh, to support as well. Um, a lot of things like the Digital Theatre Plus um, have done a lot on spoken language. Um, 
to really drive and to really hammer that forward from more of a from not necessarily more of a theatrical point of view either but actually how you can look at it in that way how it how it is delivered and presented in that way as well so yeah there's quite a few different uh, avenues that you can go down to look for it and I think uh, you know another thing that I found whilst I was writing the book as well is like we said before oracy is a skill that we are all using it's about just making it explicit how we're using it and what are the best techniques going forward so one of the the biggest things that I found helped me when I was writing it was listening to other practitioners in all of the different settings so you know as a secondary school teacher discussing with a nursery uh, you know with a nursery school teacher how they register how they you know how they understand where the stages are up to how how they evaluate where each of them are up to talking to you know a a college and a university about what they look for when when you know presentations are being given what they look for from an interview perspective so actually having these discussions and just having an awareness of of the key skills that they need and how those can be delivered in the classroom yeah i think that that as a piece of advice yeah reaching out to like um other kind of like teaching professionals is probably always the, the right answer isn't it? it's the best thing to do um if you really kind of invested in it that is probably the and it's it's they're the people who are probably most likely to be as uh, reciprocal with their kind of advice and guidance as well because it's almost like a symbiotic relationship in some way. Um, but yeah, I, I mentioned it before in terms of, um, I mean, for like, let, like in terms of breaking the fourth wall, so to speak, or kind of letting people behind the curtain, we've kind of like rescheduled a couple of times. And uh, it's been a while now since I actually read the book. I think uh, when I first messaged you, I'd read it like relatively like one or two weeks before, and it's now been like a couple of months. But as I was saying before we started recording, when when I first kind of, try to do a little bit of research into Oracy. Um, your book was firstly the first one that was coming up on Amazon. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure whether I looked it up on John Cass or something like that, but um, it was, it was, it was the first one, but it was also shockingly like one of the only ones. And as you mentioned, just before we started recording, you were shocked that when you, you did the research that, 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 that was the case. So first of all, like, thank you very much for, for writing it in the first place because it's a very very informative kind of um uh text and it's helped me a lot with putting curriculum stuff together for next year but also thank you for uh giving up your time today to to have a chat with me and um yeah just keep up the good work and hopefully we'll speak again about this stuff soon absolutely no worries thank you very much for having me as well (laughs) 